In my opinion, one of the coolest things that humanity has ever figured out is something called a gravitational assist. A gravitational assist is when we direct a spacecraft or a probe into the gravity bubble of a planet and it gets slingshotted by the gravitational force. A gravitational assist is great for reaching far corners of the solar system because they increase the probe's velocity and they can change its direction. In the 60s, NASA scientists saw that the gas giants Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune would all come into alignment with each other in about a decade's time. With all four outer planets in alignment like this, they saw the opportunity for a quadruple gravitational assist, slingshotting past one planet, and the next, and the next, and the next. An alignment like this only occurs once every 175 years or so, this was the opportunity of a lifetime. And to do it. To go to the edges of the solar system and into that dark night. Or two little probes called Voyager. The last time the gas giants aligned like this, the peak of human exploration was wooden sailing ships. But this time, 175 years later, we have Voyager. The hull of each Voyager houses the electronics, three computers on each. The combined memory of these computers is 240,000 times less than that of the phone in your pocket. Connected to the hull is a large antenna dish which always points backwards towards home, towards Earth. With the dish at the palm, three long fingers stretch out from the centre of Voyager carrying 100 kilograms of sensors and cameras, detectors, and also the power supply. And running along the cables of Voyager is carefully wrapped aluminium kitchen foil to protect the probe from possible radiation as it sails through space. Despite the Voyager's amalgam look, there is a bizarre humanity to them. They are imperfect towering machines about the size of a small school bus, they represent all that we are. They hold our hopes and our dares, and the unstoppable urge to look around the next corner. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition, and we have liftoff. We have liftoff of the Titan Centaur carrying the first of two Voyager spacecraft to extend man's senses farther into the solar system than ever before. As the huge Titan rocket was rattling through the atmosphere, it began to activate the onboard alerts of Voyager, who was strapped to the inside. The intense vibrations were far stronger than the engineers anticipated, and they threatened to destroy the Voyager probe before it had even left home. Well, at least that's what Voyager thought would happen. And so it began setting off all its alerts, its fail-safes and its backup conditions, switching into shutdown mode. When it did safely reach space, it was still unresponsive. A robotic mutiny in the cold clutches of space. Voyager wouldn't respond to any commands posited by engineers on the ground. Voyager 2 was practically dead, and the first chance was blown. But then, it came whirring back to life. When it had realised that everything was okay, and that it was safely in the cool breath of Earth's orbit ready to start its adventure. 
The amount of vibration that Voyager 1 could take was subsequently increased so that when it launched 16 days later, it wouldn't result in the same panicked probe and a space mutiny. It was launched in early September of 1977, on its way to join its cosmic twin on this grand tour. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One. MDS we have ignition, we have a liftoff. This time, though, there was a different problem. A leak in the fuel line. The Titan rocket was spilling fuel out of the second stage burn during the flight. This lost fuel cut the Titan short, and so when the final stage kicked in, it realized it was going to miss the target and come crashing down to Earth with Voyager on board. The Titan burned and it burned, carving through the atmosphere as the world held its breath. We didn't know if it would have enough fuel. We didn't know if Voyager would make it. Three and a half seconds. There was three and a half seconds worth of fuel in the tank. Three and a half seconds in the Voyager mission our only shot would have been cut in half. Voyager had barely made it, but it had made it. And now, with both Voyagers in space, a new era of human exploration had begun. The Voyagers were travelling away from Earth, never to return. Away from the only home that every human has ever known. And... Because we are who we are, we wouldn't just let them go without first putting on a fingerprint. That fingerprint came in the form of a golden phonographic record, attached to the side of each Voyager. This was a message in a bottle for anyone who may find their little creations far, far from home. In the grooves of the golden records are selections of our existence, curated to show what our planet and our life and our culture is like to any extraterrestrial life that may find either Voyager in the distant future. There are 27 pieces of music on the Golden Records, about 90 minutes worth. Of course, you and I both know that there is far more than 90 minutes of good music on Earth, making the selection of the pieces an awfully difficult task. But I suppose this is a good problem to have, it would be a sad world if there was only 90 minutes of good music to send off into space to show how cool we are. After one and a half years of peacefully floating through space away from Earth, Voyager 1 was coming up on the first destination of the tour. 
the grand storm god, Jupiter. Jupiter is the first gas giant from the sun and is the biggest planet in the solar system at over 10 times the size of Earth. Jupiter is gorgeous, swirling with colour like a renaissance painting. It swirls and it twists with storms, meandering colours through its gorgeous reds, browns and orange. Being a gas giant, Jupiter is likely made entirely of high pressure gas, which gets hotter the further down the centre you go. But if Voyager tried flying through the swirling planet, it would be stripped down and melted by the incredible heat and pressure. As Voyager flew towards the planet, it watched the storms form and swirl around, which showed for the first time how active the atmosphere of Jupiter was. A large storm on Jupiter, called the Great Red Spot, has possibly been active for over 300 years and could swallow three planets the size of Earth in its thick orange cloud. And the stormy giant continued to surprise. As Voyager got closer and closer, it heard this whistling. These whistles are made by lightning strikes. Lightning strikes over 2,000 kilometers long, which is longer than the entirety of New Zealand. Fitting for a planet named after the Roman god of thunder and lightning. Jupiter was a magical way to begin the tour. Not only did we realise the raw power of the planet's storms, but Voyager also did a flyby of four of Jupiter's 92 moons. As we flew close to Europa, we found a moon completely different to our own. It was a crystal smooth orb, with huge cuts and ridges through its icy surface, and the ice sheets were moving suggesting that underneath there is a massive moving ocean, larger than even the one on Earth. And on another one of Jupiter's moons, Io, we found huge towering plumes erupting from the surface, stretching into space for over 300 kilometers. These were the first volcanoes ever found in our solar system on a planet other than Earth. So, Jupiter revealed to us storms that could swallow Earth and lightning that could blind entire countries, an ocean larger than ours and the most volcanically active world in the solar system. In Jupiter, we discovered how small we were, how unremarkable our planet actually is, even in our own small neighborhood. But there is definitely one thing that is nowhere else in the solar system except Earth. Hello from the children of planet Earth. On the Voyager Golden Records, there are 55 greetings from Earth, spoken in 55 different languages. Friends of space, how are you all? Have you eaten yet? Come visit us if you have the time. Greetings to our friends in the stars. We wish that we will meet you one day. Welcome home. It is a pleasure to receive you. And alongside these greetings and our music, there are 115 images encoded into the vinyl. Some of our world, some of our animals, and a lot of us and the things we make and do and eat and use.
Whenever I look at these images, I think of how utterly incredible and terrifying and confusing it would be if we ever came across a golden record from another world. What images would they include? What would they say to us? Would they also send us music? But also on our golden record is something I don't think any other world could possibly send to us. A one hour long recording of our brainwaves. These were the brainwaves of Anne Drayen. And during the recording she thought of many topics like the history of Earth and our civilization and the problems that we face. But she also thought of what it was like to fall in love. So, out there, on this little golden record, are the brainwave recordings of human love. And that, I believe, is one of the most magical human things we have ever done. Through a classic-era telescope on Earth, 1.6 billion kilometres away, Saturn is an impossibly fluid smudge in the night sky. Like other planets, it looks like an ink dot on a blank page, but occasionally it morphs into a wide, stretching ellipse, like an eye or a planet that had ears. In 1656, a Dutch scientist called Christian Huygens developed a theory that would explain the odd plumes that appeared around the planet. He thought they were caused by a slightly tilted ring that floated around the planet, sometimes at an angle that would render it invisible. Of course, we know that he was right, and the most confusing speck in the sky just became the most magnificent. The rings of Saturn are made up of millions of icy particles, some of which are bigger than a house and others are just specks of dust. The rings are a gorgeous golden ribbon around the planet, stretching the width of multiple Earths but only a few hundred meters thick. Also discovered by Christian Huygens was one of Saturn's moons, Titan. Titan is the largest of Saturn's 83 known moons, and the second largest in the solar system. But it isn't its relatively large size that makes it interesting, but instead because it might be a good clone of early Earth. Earth's early atmosphere had very, very little oxygen with a thick, smoggy atmosphere, much like Titan. So, if you want to study the early Earth, you could go and visit Titan. The problem is, Titan was out of line with the rest of the planetary alignment. So, if Voyager wanted to visit it, it would have to slingshot off course, away from the final two planets of the tour. But that was why there were two Voyagers. If Voyager 1 was successful, then Voyager 2 would be able to continue on the scheduled course towards Uranus and Neptune. But if the first attempt at Titan fails, a decision would have to be made. Do we try again with Voyager 2 and sacrifice the other planets, or do we sacrifice Titan? As Voyager took the gravity assist around Saturn, slinging off course past Titan, the mood was an unexciting mustard yellow. Titan's thick atmosphere shrouded the moon in an orange musty cloud, 
it was impossible for Voyager 1's cameras to pierce through the moon's surface. But Voyager had more than just cameras. It fired a radio signal down which pierced the clouds and provided information on the moon's temperature and pressure, while a spectrometer determined the composition of the moon's possibly earthly atmosphere. In short, Voyager 1 had succeeded, and now Voyager 2 was clear to continue on to Uranus and Neptune. After Saturn, Voyager 2 had a four and a half year journey to get to Uranus. By the time it got there, it had been sailing space for eight years. If it wasn't for the slingshots of the gravity assists, then this journey would have instead taken 30 years, and it was another four years to get to the final planet of the tour, Neptune. After visiting the beautiful blue planets on the border of our backyard, the tour was complete, and Voyager 2 had nowhere left to go. So, for one final adventure, they scheduled a dance with one of Neptune's moons, Triton. The gravity assist point for a flyby of Triton took Voyager on a course that skimmed across the deep blue clouds of Neptune's atmosphere. To me, it is extraordinary to think of our own human-made craft sailing the high clouds of a planet so far from our own high seas here on Earth. As it rounded the cloud tops of the final planet in the solar system, Triton would have raised in the distance, spinning uniquely in great space, because Triton is the only moon in the solar system which has a retrograde orbit, circling Neptune in the opposite direction to the planet's rotation, like a pair of dancers twirling in forever. But Triton also had another trick. As Voyager glided past, it saw thick plumes erupt from the surface of frozen nitrogen. The heat from the sun trickles through the ice covering the moon, melting the frozen nitrogen beneath, which builds up to a rupturing geyser, reaching from the surface of Triton up to 8 kilometers high into cold space. Even here, in the coldest, darkest pocket of the solar system, some 4.5 billion kilometers away from the sun, the faint kiss of its warmth can still be felt. But now, with the grand tour over, Voyager 2, like its twin, must turn to face the infinite beyond and sail away from the life-giving star that warms our cosmic neighborhood. On the 14th of November 1980, Voyager 1 completed its solar system tour. 32 years later, in 2012, it crossed the heliopause, the edge of the influence of our sun, marking the entry into interstellar space, the gaps between the stars. At the time of writing this, Voyager 1 is 23 billion kilometers away from Earth, the furthest human-made object from our birthplace. And it's still going, carrying our golden record out into the unknown. Engraved in those golden grooves are our photos, our voices, our music, our story, and our literal thoughts. 
Someday, far from now, when the solar system is silent and the sun is dead, the voyagers will still be sailing. They will pass by many planets and many stars, but there will be nobody left to tell what they've seen. Maybe someday a group of sentient beings will come across one of the voyagers. They will bring it home and find on it a peculiar little golden plate, and they will begin to decode their discovery, wondering where in the universe it came from. They will see the strange drawings and lines on the cover of the object, instructions from the sender on how to use this strange device. If the beings, if they even be, can decode the cryptic alien instructions, then they may hear our greetings in languages they cannot translate. They may see our images of life forms they will never meet. They may read our thoughts from brains unlike theirs, and they may hear our sounds and our music from millions of years ago. I wonder what they'll like the most, if they can even feel joy. Maybe they will like the picture of the dolphins diving, or the portrait of a human family. Maybe they will like hearing our strange greetings spoken in languages that are likely to have been long silent to the rest of the universe. But what I most want to know is what they will feel as they listen to track number 14 of the Golden Record. What will they feel as they hear the lonely, gravelly voice of Blind Willie Johnson floating with the melancholic strings of his broken guitar on the Golden Record's second last track? Dark was the night, cold was the ground. Will they feel the loneliness or the melancholy blue that it brings to us? Will they even be capable of feeling such? Will they even be capable of feelings at all? Of all the unknown the voyagers have found since their journey began in 1977, it is this almost impossible unknown of the distant future that I am most captivated by. Though, I will not be around to see it. I don't think any of us will be. Sail on, Voyager. Godspeed in this dark, dark night. Mm-hmm.